Welcome to A Thousand and One Good Nights, a podcast about the stories behind bedtime stories. Follow along with two new dads, one a psychologist and one a book editor, as they explore the nighttime ritual of their foreseeable future. Hey, Ben. Hey, Nick. Let's talk about The Girl with a Brave Heart. Yeah, let's do it. So this was a recommendation from uh, Barbara over at Story Village, Storybook Village of Pentwater. So grateful to her for that. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's a really interesting story. I think it's like a lot of things in children's books. There's a lot of familiarity. Like it's it's not, in some ways, it's like a Cinderella type story, but um, it's a tale from Toronto. So it's a little bit different. And there's a few different twists. Um, so it has kind of that fairy tale folk feel to it, but, um, you know, it's not quite what, what you would expect. I mean, like many folk tales, it starts off, there's a, and like Cinderella, there's a, a girl with a, uh, wicked stepsister and wicked stepmother and she's ill-treated and, and she has a ball of yarn that belonged to her mother, which goes missing and then it, it rolls into a, a neighboring house. And when she goes there, there's this old woman who sets her a series of tasks. Um, but instead of uh, obeying the tasks of the letters, so the tasks are things like destroy everything in this garden and um, cut off all my hair. But instead of really observing those exact instructions, the girl tends the garden and combs the hair and then afterwards, she is the, the woman tells her to bathe in a pool. And then after that, she has this sort of dramatic physical transformation where she becomes astonishingly beautiful. And then when she goes home, naturally, the, the wicked stepmother and stepsister plot to, to do the same thing uh, for the stepsister. And the stepsister goes and uh, happily just and impatiently just smashes everything in the, the, the garden and cuts off the hair just trying to rush through to the, the beauty treatment and then is punished uh, accordingly and um, becomes exceedingly ugly. And so the, the moral of the story is that the uh, Shiraz, the girl with the brave heart, it's she, it, she wasn't listening. She wasn't just obeying the instructions. She was sort of feeling empathy for the old woman and, and seeing what was in the old woman's heart. Um, and that's why the, jumping in the pool afterwards revealed sort of her inner beauty. Does that sound like a, a summary? Have I mangled it too badly? No, it's perfect. Yeah. I think that, that captures um, it. And so, like I said, it's, it's, it's pretty familiar in that, you know, it's, uh, uh, there's this encounter with this kind of mystical figure. And I, I do, I love uh, stories where there's sort of a, a series of Herculean tasks that you have to perform. And, and I feel like there's a couple different categories in which books fall into. Sometimes it's, they're performing these tasks to prove themselves to somebody. Maybe they're trying to win the hand of a prince or a princess. And so they're trying to show themselves worthy mm -hmm. or um, sometimes it's because they're sort of a selfish brat and they need character development. And so by doing these sometimes seemingly meaningless tasks, they learn important life lessons and they get, they, they are granted a level of maturity. So, I mean, I, I always think of like the, and there's always that moment like the, in, the, in the Karate Kid where he realizes these simple chores have actually been training him all along <laughs> you know, for, <laughs> for self-defense. Um, 
And this 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 one yeah, this one's a, neither though because it's just she is already a, a good person, and it's not like she's trying to win anybody's approval. She doesn't really set out to become more beautiful, and ultimately, like it's not like she her beauty. I don't know. Like, does she is she treated better by her family after that? I, I guess the reward is just the beauty and the and the what like she. She, does she really? I guess she improves her lot by becoming more beautiful. But and what do you think? Yeah, I mean that kind of struck me about this is that it, like you said, it doesn't hit either of those two um, kind of classic formulas where the protagonist either um, proves something or learns something or grows um, themselves. Like she stays kind of static. Um, there isn't really, and even the, the tasks themselves are. They look arduous, you know, it's like cleaning up this horrifically messy kitchen and, and redoing this garden. And um, but she's she's already been doing all that kind of stuff for her evil stepmothers. Right. And so she even says in the book, like, oh, basically, like, eh, it's not that big a deal. I'd be happy to do it. Um, and so that I, I don't I don't know how I feel about that exactly. Like that, that she doesn't really does she overcome any obstacles? which is kind of a classic protagonist thing, right? To be a protagonist, you have to overcome yeah, some I mean, kind of obstacle, I think, yeah, right? I mean, even if she does it uh, at home, that doesn't mean that it's like, oh, she she must be used to hard work. So it, she, I'm sure she won't mind slaving <laughs> away in the garden. I mean, she's still putting in the work. And she's, honestly, she's, one of the weird things about this is the old woman doesn't give her any feedback. Like she doesn't say, she just sort of stares at her after each task and then gives her another one. So, she right. has to sort of trust to her intuition that she's doing the right thing by deliberately disobeying the instructions. And which is, I mean, is that hubris on her part? Or what's, what's, but I, I, mean, I was thinking in I'm my not, head, you could, you could create an alternate version of this story where it turns out it's a, it's a terrible mistake for her to ignore the, she should have gone with the literal interpretation and the. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, I'm, I'm, and there are stories like that where it's like, surely you don't like you, like you don't mean that. It's like no, because you thought you knew better than me, like, and you weren't able just to obey correctly. That like, then that's then, then you're punished for that. But in this one, I mean, maybe she doesn't. She's used to arduous tasks. But I'm just saying, if it was me, and I uh, somebody tells me break everything in this kitchen and destroy this garden, and then I put in all this time, and fix it. And I think I've like really improved it. So I think I've taken some initiative and then I kind of look to the person who gave me that assignment and then I get nothing back. That would be very discouraging <laughs> to, to me because maybe I, maybe right. I need more, right. maybe I just need more affirmation <laughs> than, than, than she does. But uh, yeah. So I think that if there is her overcoming obstacle, it's, it's very subtle and maybe more internal. Like I, I look at things like she, the old lady's kind of scary looking and sort of disgusting. So it's it's kind of implied that she has to get over that that kind of fear or disgust and do this thing anyway, um, which is sort of an it's like an inner struggle or challenge, right? But it's not fleshed out at all. Like it's not described in in the narrative. It's very subtly kind of alluded to. Um, or yeah, though she does she she does say like this old lady looks scary, but she has kind eyes, right? So. I mean, there's, you get the sense that the thing about her is that she does see through to the inherent possibility in things in the way that her sister certainly does not, you know, that she looks at the the garden and, and it'd be easier just to just kind of weed whack the whole thing. But, but it's, you know, this, this can, this can be really beautiful. I, I see that there's a sort of a beauty beneath the surface here. Right. But it's an interesting artistic choice on the author's 
um, from from their perspective that they don't make her struggle um, tangible or like visceral. You know, you don't like go through the struggle with it's sort of you get the it alludes to the fact that that's happening, but it's not made explicit, which is interesting. You don't really see her worrying about about things or like conflicted. She just she just the old lady says do this that she does something different and then the old lady says something else and then she does something different then too <laughs> like so right and it's it's almost like the story is like it's sort of just setting up these two different versions um it, and uh, the um Shiraz and the what's the monir the the yeah. evil stepsister um and sort of letting you just kind of see these two different realities for yourself and kind of decide and it doesn't really let you decide because it tells you at the end, <laughs> right. obviously, which one's kind of the correct version. But um, yeah, the, it, it's just one way in which this is sort of an interesting take on the fairy tale, I think, is that there isn't a big kind of obvious visceral challenge that the protagonist, that you go through um, overcoming along with the protagonist. But I'm trying to think, I mean, is that, you feel like an up. Other fairy tales, you do uh, there. There is that, like even like the really basic ones, like the in the Grimm's or or Hansel and Gretel. Do Hansel and Gretel do a lot of soul searching? Or I mean, I feel like a lot of times in fairy tales, what's called for is just prompt, decisive action on the on the parts <laughs> of people when they're having to fend off wolves. Or I don't know, right. they they just kind of they in some ways it's kind of like they do what's in their nature or what. Like, is there typically a lot of complexity in, in, in fairy tales or? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Like, do characters grow and learn things in, in fairy tales? Maybe not. Maybe because they're more, they're like sort of designed to be more like morality tales to the children who's reading, them, who are reading them. Well, part right? of the, so part of that I, I wonder is uh, like, how much are you supposed to put yourself in the shoes of somebody in a fairy? Because in some fairy tales, and even like the, there's the one, there's one that George McDonald does that's called, uh, I think the wise woman or, or something like that is, is one of his stories. And in that one, there's a spoiled princess who uh, sort of, what is it? She There's some phrase like she wanted everything she could have and everything she couldn't have. And so at, at some point, like it reaches the point where she flies into a rage because she can't get the moon and her <laughs> royal parents like give her a silver dish and she gets really upset. And then she has to be kidnapped by this wise woman who takes her to a cottage and makes her do menial chores. And then, Right, and then you know she sort of learns life's lessons, and she does improve. So, in, in that one, that, that's a fairy tale where where where, where people uh, change, and and I think you're meant. There's a lot of time. Definitely, as a kid, I remember thinking yeah. I have a lot in common with Rosamond, this this princess. Like I have, she she really does she does chores pretty half heartedly, and then kind of like the the evil stepsister from this story, she she expects to be rewarded for when like she'll do the chores one day and the next day she's like, what, I have to do the chores again. Are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> so, like, what am I? So, um, but I, I feel like in, in other fairy tales, it's either you like are yeah. impressed with the quick thinking that the cleverness of like, like this, the person who's winning the princess's hand, like the, the, can he outwits these monsters or, or things like that? Or, you really just sympathize with them as they're as an underdog. Like it's, you feel bad for Cinderella. So when she, when, when the prince comes for her, you feel like that's like the, the universe is restored balance because she's been unjustly persecuted. So she doesn't really have to learn things. It's just like the, the word, she just has to be recognized. Her inherent value has to right. be recognized. So and that's sort of, of what, 
like character development. And that's what there. happens with Shraz, right? Like what you see is her um I, her ability to kind of like see, you know see into the heart of the old lady and and base her actions on that, not on the kind of explicit instrument. So it's kind of like an like an empathy. Right. It's kind of the quality that the story's highlighting, right? I think I think that's kind of typical. I mean, I think sometimes with fairy tales there there can be complexity there, but they they really want to make sure that you're not missing the main point, whether it's like don't go in the woods or have empathy. And so that's like the main thing you're trying to communicate. Um, and you want to do that sort of as powerfully as possible. Right. Does that does that seem right? Like and that's I mean like there's there's no doubt about the moral of this, about the moral of the story. And I think that's, I mean, maybe I think you, that, that sometimes that bothers you more than it bothers me. Like, I don't mind just like, a, like just hammering home. Oh, like a, like a, a straightforward. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I, the, the ending is very explicit about what, um, what the moral is. Right. Um, and, and, and to be fair, I think it's, uh, it's, it's very explicit, which is kind of good because you could make a mistake in that, like it seems like Shiraz is trusting to her own intuition, but really it's because she said, she says, uh, I listened to the old woman's heart rather than just, cause I feel like there's a lot yeah. of times when the, the, the moral of the story is I listened to my own heart and that, and then like, right. I just held on to my own truth. And then that's how I kind of navigate. Well, no, this. and I, really this and is, and that's where I think the story should have ended there. That's the second to the last page, <laughs> right? It right, says right. she listened to her own. And that's a really interesting, that's intriguing. Like that's, it's enough of a, a moral, like it, I think it is kind of a moral, but it's also not, it's not super explicit either. But then it goes on to this other page where it talks about how, um, you know, it describes how the pools work. You know, they don't change people who dip into them. They make them look the way they feel on the inside. Um, and everyone remembered Shiraz, the girl with the brave heart who listened um, and had understood that when people are sad, they do not always know how to ask for what they need. Um, so that to me, what I don't like about that is you're, that that can be shown and and is shown in the book and so it feels a little tacked on um at the end to me and maybe that's good maybe it's just like you said maybe it's nice to have the the point kind of like reinforced but it i don't know some about it it kind of makes me squirm a little bit i mean did, did you did you get that though i mean i, I think you're right but did you get that so the, the very last line of the last page, which is uh, when people are sad, they do not always know how to ask what they need. Like, did you pick up on that? That the, it was because the old woman was so sad that she, no, she was no, not I being didn't. able to express what she wanted. But but I think I would have come to it over time, and so I I don't I, I don't like I, being like deprived of that. It or, Yeah, exactly. Like I think part of part of the thing that's wonderful about children's books and I mean literature generally is that the the book kind of unfolds to you in layers like over time like as you mature as you read it differently and um so i i feel like that's now going to change the the process of rereading it i don't maybe i'm reading too much into this but it it seems like it's kind of uh it's a little bit of the parent doing too much of the homework for the kid instead of letting <laughs> the kid like struggle through it on their own a little bit <laughs> which is funny cuz that this very much is the kid doing homework on their own. <laughs> Take any initiative. Right. Not just doing their, she's not just doing her, like her stepmother's and housework. She's also doing this next door neighbor's housework too. <laughs> like on, like on her own initiative after being asked to explicitly do something very different. <laughs> so, right. Right. Um, but don't you think there's a conflict kind of between like the principal, you know, the principal show don't tell, um, right. that, that, in general, the, the more kind of like, not just the more artful, but really the more nuanced and kind of 
um, persuasive way to to convince someone of something is to is to show them right, um, not just to kind of preach it out in explicit terms. Well, then, I mean, do you do you feel uh, that the old woman looked sad? I mean, do, do you read what, what she does? Is she, things have fallen into neglect because she was sad or, or or depressed or didn't know how to handle? Like she couldn't handle her own house, and that's why she was asking people to. I think I think that's destroyed. one potential um, interpretation you could you could definitely get to. Like that's not, and you can tell. Like when when she first um, when you first see the old woman like looking through the slit in the door, she looks mean and kind of like suspicious. And that's how, but then as it go, and she looks sad when she's in the kitchen. Um, But then by the end, when you see her giving the ball, like when she's looking in the mirror and and, um, Shiraz is combing her hair, she starts to look kinder, right? She's kind of like opening up. So I I don't think, I don't think that would be a hard interpretation to get on your own necessarily. But that is certainly a more complex, I mean, that's different than just, I saw her kind of inherent kindness. And so that's why I, I had her inherent goodness. And so that's why I did this as to like, as opposed to, I realized that, that her telling me to, to destroy all these things was actually a cry for help. And that's why I responded differently. Um, yeah, I, I guess it just, I, I kind of, I would prefer to get there on my own or I would, I would risk not ever getting there in exchange for the experience of being able to get there on my own and not have it sort of said explicitly. Have you, so, and and do you think that's something that like children pick up on too? Like I think, because sometimes I feel like as someone who has not written a children's book, the the concern (laughs) is like maybe you can get there if you're an adult and you're reading it several times, but are kids going to pick up on this? Especially because like for kids, they just accept things in the most literal sense. Like if, you know, it's hard for them. Maybe they subconsciously understand that uh, like somebody's acting out because they're angry or sad, but that's a pretty complicated thing. I feel like it takes, sometimes even adults don't, don't figure that out. They can go their whole lives and not figure that out. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm not that concerned with my kid getting like a specific message out of a book. Like I think there's this great quote, we talked about it all the way back in episode one with Caps for Sale. Uh, the author, Esfir Slobodina, I yeah. think, she has this quote about why children's books are important and it's because they they leave these sort of like these aesthetic and moral kind of like marks on on our kids that they're not like instructions. They're not like explicit kind of um, ideas, but they're these impressions that get left on you. And they're kind of fuzzy, and they but they evolve with you over time. And maybe um, it's and maybe I think it's impossible for you to trace that back. But can you? Do you have any like stories from your childhood that you feel like you've now with thirty years to 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 think about them like a subtle moral or a uh, a subtle message has borne fruit <laughs> all these years later? I mean, that, that's a pretty hard thing because even like fairy tales like Cinderella, like I don't even know how I encountered Cinderella, the story of Cinderella the first time. And so it's so kind of entangled with cultural elements and other, other stories and things like that. But I mean, can you think that, uh, can you think of any stories that kind of had that kind of effect on you? So an an example for me is the Hobbit. And and one of the, the kind of themes or tensions in the book is Bilbo is a little Hobbit and he really likes his 
comforts his like creature yeah. comforts he, he lives in this nice beautiful little little home and he's got his tea and he eats 15 times a day right. <laughs> you know like it's it's really nice and comfortable um but then he finds himself off on this um terrifying but ultimately amazing adventure and so i the hobbit doesn't like go into talking about like why it's important to leave behind your comfort sometimes and and go off on adventures and that it leads to growth and blah 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 but i remember at even to this day and as a kid thinking about that like feeling that tension in myself like that a lot of times it's it's easier to just kind of like roll over and stay in your cozy bed and and but that there are great things to be had from giving that up and going after adventure too so i I feel like that's one of those um kind of vague like impressions that got that stuck in me that that wasn't like explicitly fleshed out okay that's interesting what does that mean that like uh you uh you sort of explain like is it ever you said well today i'm i'm not going to lay in bed because remember what happened to bilbo (laughs) or is it just like you that kind of tension resonated with you you know know what i mean or like or as you encounter that choice like man i I guess I'm not the only one that's been faced with that kind of choice. I don't think in any one situation I, I made this like explicit logical <laughs> like process. I made a pros and cons list. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But but I think you know at the end of the day, if you kind of sum average out all those experiences, did that book kind of have an effect on on the way I think about things and what I do? Yeah, probably. Um, but I don't think it was ever explicit. I don't know how conscious it ever was. Um, but I think it can still be really impactful, even if it's not um, overt or conscious. Um, and the other requirement for uh, like uh, having um, the like for for being able to like get the moral of a book, a book like this without explicitly saying the last page is I feel like spending time with it. And I do feel like this is the kind of book that you can spend some time with. I mean, one thing that we haven't talked about is yeah. that it's beautifully illustrated and that there is really a lyrical quality to it, I think, like the way that way this story is told. And maybe that's because it's so simple and it it just kind of goes frame to frame. But I mean, the the, the author is a singer. And so maybe there's almost even something I, th- I think of just kind of the way that and, it, and it, I think it came up as a story that she was telling her own daughter. And so mm. it really does feel like a story that like even though it's a new book that was written like in the, in the last ten years, it does have that kind of rhythmic, passed down kind of oral tradition kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that there, and, and well, that's what one of the strange tensions to me is that it, it's got this very organic kind of natural feel to it. Like it's a story that's been passed down through you know someone's family for for generations and generations. Um, but then the and I, I don't mean to keep harping on this last no, no. page there, but it feels like an editor said, you should add another page kind of explaining what this is really about. Um, so it, 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 and I don't know, maybe that's important. Maybe that tension is there for a reason, but it, it seems to, uh, yeah, it, it seems at odds with the, the quality of the rest of the book. Um, and maybe that's the thing that kind of bothers me is that it doesn't seem to fit. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that um, I, I think I, I'm clearly not as bothered by it as you are, but I, I think that if, <laughs> if if I was going to suggest an edit, I would have sort of rolled that very last line of the last page into the last line of the second to last page where she sort of says, oh, yeah, I listened to what, what was in her heart and that's why I did things differently. And I could tell 
that she was uh, sad, but didn't know how to didn't know how to tell me that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And then, that, and, then, and then just and then you know mic drop, and then rather than kind of pan right. out and and then kind of you know reflect on it with that all, all the all the text on the last page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. But also, I think it's you... fine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is talking about, this is a book you could spend time with. Um, I I only got this book about a week ago and this really separates four-year-olds from two-year-olds in my experience. So my four-year-old loves this, like. She, well, does, she, I mean, does she have to do chores, right? Because even, even a couple of years ago, she was watering plants and so maybe she just <laughs> housework. Really, <laughs> it really resonates. <laughs> um, no, but I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a longer book for sure. I mean, this one takes us um, closer to 15 minutes to read instead of our usual kind of five to seven minute reads. Um, and it obviously there's some sort of hard limit there for my kids because my two-year-old gets lost pretty and gets distracted. And, but Elena definitely follows and wants to can sit through it and wants to, and not just once, but has, we've probably read it 12 times in the last uh, six days. Or oh, so. wow. well, that's, a, that's, <laughs> um, a, that's a strong recommendation. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Would you anyway, it, so if you've so you read it that many times, um, uh, has she, has she picked up on the, 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 the next door neighbor seems sad? Like, does, does she talk about that or does she? I don't know. And th- th- this is an interesting, like the act of, bedtime stories and reading um, kind of topic. But I personally am not a big, um, let me ask my kids questions about the book after we read it kind of person. Yeah. I mean, I know it's like good for their reading comprehension and and I'm sure there's all sorts of other benefits to doing that, but I'm I'm a little more laissez-faire and I just sort of like reading it to them and I don't really know what's going on in their mind necessarily. And we talk about it a little bit, but. But does she, she doesn't interrupt you and ask because for Jack, sometimes it's very important for him. Like he will say, why is this person sad or why is this person happy? And we have to sort of talk about that before we can go to the next page. And sometimes it's like, Jack, they're not neither sad nor happy, but he, he kind of wants them to be one or the other. He wants so. to know. Yeah. I have, um, I, I would say in general, my second daughter does that more often. And I'm not sure if that's her age yet. Um, she's two and a half. Um, but I, Elena, has never been a big interrupter. I mean, she does from time to time. She wants to know specific things, but in general, she doesn't ask a ton of questions. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. That's, that's interesting. Do you guys, do you like query Jack afterwards about it? Like, do you make a point to do that? I know, I, like, I know a lot of people do that. Um, no, I mean, not really, uh, especially for bedtime stories, which usually the space after a book is either he wants there to be another book that's read or, I mean, we, we definitely don't have like a, now let's reflect on what we just, what we just encountered. If, if anything, the reflection <laughs> right. happens like in the middle in, and sometimes yeah, he progress. has to, he has to prompt me. Cause I'm just like, let's get to that. There's still more story to do. And he really wants to talk about, you know, something that's bothering him with the book. So. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's interesting how you kind of handle as, you know, as readers, how we sort of handle those, those things. Um, Cause for me, it's, it's, it's easy to just want to like, um, I want to read the book at the cadence that it's meant to be read at. And I want to like finish on time so we get to bed and I want to, right. so there's all these, all this like pressure for me to just want to get through the book. Um, and so that's a good, that's always a good reminder to me that to be sort of flexible with how these things are read. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and also sometimes uh, if, if I do try and, and enforce uh like question times afterwards, then Jack asks questions that I'm not prepared to answer. So. <laughs> <laughs>
Hey everyone, we hope you enjoyed this episode of A Thousand and One Good Nights. If you want to learn more about this book and other bedtime stories, check out our website at 1001goodnights.com. That's 1001goodnights.com. Be sure to sign up for our monthly email newsletter to get updates about upcoming seasons and other new content. Finally, please help us out by rating the show on iTunes. This helps spread the word about the show and get it in front of new listeners each week.